Well, good morning, church family. It's so good to see each and every one of you. My name is David, and I serve here as lead pastor. If you're in the room, good morning. If you're joining us online, thanks for looking in. You know, there's lots of different ways that we talk about different types of personalities, but one of the most common ways of dividing people is extroverts and introverts. You're probably familiar with the terms. How many of you, by raising your hand, would say, I'm an extrovert, I'm an extrovert. Yeah, look at all those. So keep your hands up, just for a second, so all the introverts can look around and see who to avoid after service. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Extroverts, I'm an extrovert. My wife is an introvert. I feel like God does that to couples. Doesn't he have a way of doing that? Brings extroverts and introverts together, and then we learn to do life together for the rest of our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, I think extroverts and introverts have very different ways of looking at the world. And it was pretty evident during a COVID shutdown. Like when all of a sudden we found that we were going to have to basically stay in our homes for months, all the introverts were like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Finally, you've heard and answered my prayer. I don't have to see strangers. I don't have to interact with people. I can stay in my house and do puzzles or whatever it is introverts do. And all the extroverts are like, Jesus, just return now. Just come back because I don't even want to. I don't even want to live. Introverts and extroverts look at the world differently, but they also look at each other differently. Uh, extroverts look at introverts like they're projects. Like, I can fix you. <laughs> I can make you just like me. Just give me some time, and I'm going to draw that because you really, you're just like me on the inside. So let me just show you that. And introverts look at extroverts like they're monsters. <laughs> like, just relax, take a breath, read a book, right? Slow down. And, uh, but whether you're an introvert this morning or an extrovert, whether you get energy from being on your own or energy from being around other people, I think one thing we would all agree is that every human being needs meaningful connections. We all need deep, meaningful relationships. And actually, research shows us that introverts actually often have deeper, more meaningful relationships than even extroverts. But we all need connections. And this morning, as we're in our third week of our series, Transformed, and we're going through our discipleship pathway as a church, what does it look like to become more like Jesus? We're in the second step of our path, and it's called Connect and be you. So here's our vision, just by way of recap. Our vision as a church is that we would see gospel transformation. Gospel transformation means our lives radically changed by who Jesus is. Gospel transformation in every area of our lives start with us, and then in every area or every life in our area. And we define area by anywhere where God gives you influence and reach. So your area is your neighborhood. It's where you work. It's the school you go to. It's the it's your barber shop. It's where you get your coffee every morning. That's your area. And our vision is that we would see the kingdom of God come and be seen as gospel transformation in every area of our lives and in every life in our area. And this is how we think it happens. Gospel transformation starts, we talked about this last week with the, uh, the first circle here, come and see Jesus. This idea that we are going to approach Jesus, see him, and be changed by seeing him. And this morning we're talking about this second part down here, connect and be you. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some churches in Rome about 2,000 years ago. And in the Bible, this book is called Romans. And the first really half of Romans, Paul is laying out the gospel. He starts by saying, you're all in a lot of trouble. 
<laughs> Everyone has sinned and fallen short. Irreligious people, you don't serve God. But religious people, you also aren't serving God, but for very different reasons. And then he introduces the good news of Jesus, the grace of God, the way in which we can be saved by placing our faith fully and solely in Jesus Christ. And by the time we get to the passage we're looking at this morning, Romans 15, he's almost done. And what he's doing now is he's basically saying, here's how you should live in light of the gospel. Because the gospel is not just information to hold on to. The gospel is information that should transform us, that should change us. So how do we live in response to the gospel? And here Paul's addressing an issue where there are some Christians in Rome who are using their Christian freedom, their liberty. You know, there's certain things that we know we shouldn't do and that we should do. Sins, uh, things that are clearly sin and things that are clearly not sin. But there's lots of gray area in this world, too, where there's room for Christian freedom and liberty and personal convictions on what you will and won't do. And what's happening in the church in Rome is that people are using their freedom not to serve others, but to serve themselves. And here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 1. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. So what he's saying in this first sentence is, some of you are free to live out your faith and participate in these activities, and they don't affect you negatively. But there are other people in your community who are dragged down by that behavior. Maybe they struggled with that for a long time, and when they see you openly engaging in it, it tempts them to go back to it. Now, a lot of people, especially in our society in America, would say, well, that's their problem. I'm going to live my life. they got to fix their own mess. And Paul's saying that's not what it means to be part of the church. You actually lay down your freedoms to serve the other person, the weaker brother or the weaker sister. We must not just please ourselves. What a great mantra for the church today. We should not just live to please ourselves. Then he goes on to say we should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ did not live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Jesus took our insults, our, our place, paid the price for our sins. Verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Now Paul goes into a prayer. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because everything I just said is true, Paul is saying, therefore accept each other. Just as Christ has accepted you. Why? So that God will be given the glory. Paul makes a really compelling case in this passage for the necessity of community, connecting and doing life together. And I just want to say up front, there's lots of obstacles right now to people actually taking that step of connecting with the local church, saying, I'm in, and I want to connect, and I want to be a part of what God is doing right here at Trinity or at any other church in this community that God places somebody. And one of the obstacles I think that we face today is just our schedules, right? People are busy. Doesn't it feel like people are busier than ever? And our priorities are reflected in our schedule. And sometimes people say, well, Sunday morning is my only time to relax and to do certain things around the house and because I'm so busy. So busyness becomes an obstacle to connecting. For some people, it's this... Um, it's our American society, it's a society of our country that is very individualistic. I'll do my own thing. I don't need to submit to uh, being part of a larger group of people. 
Some people, they look at the church both, both historically, current, both in America and globally, and they see the failures and the shortcomings of the church. And we have a generation that's grown up that is anti-institution and doesn't trust authority. And so they say, why would I go to a place where people are telling me what I should think or believe or how I should live? Another obstacle to connecting in meaningful ways is actually technology. It's interesting because technology has helped us connect, but it's also hurt us in our connecting. Through the avenues of things like social media where we feel like we're more connected than ever, what we discover is that although we have X amount of friends and X amount of followers and likes on our posts and comments on our posts, we realize they don't really know me or they don't know the real me. And in fact, there's a lot of research that's been done that has linked mental health and emotional health very closely with social media use and the way it affects people because you're always comparing yourself with other people's lives and other people's likes, and it's a trap. And so technology offers us a counterfeit community. So people might feel like, I don't need to be a part of an actual church. I don't need to walk into an actual building because I'm a part of this faith community here via online. And I thank God for all of those resources. They're useful, but I do not believe that they're intended to replace the physical gathering of the people of God. And then lastly, there's a whole mindset, especially among young Christians, who say, I don't really need the church, I just need Jesus. And I, I, I understand what they're saying, but I actually disagree because the church is Jesus' bride. So imagine saying, I, I love you, but I hate your wife. <laughs> I want nothing to do with her. That relationship is not gonna mature and go very far, right? And so in the face of all these obstacles, the text we just read, Paul gives us three reasons why we must connect like we are this morning. And the first thing is this, we must connect for our growth. You know, we all gotta grow, right? I mean, you grow or you die. We all have room to grow. It's important that we commit to that. And you've probably heard me say this before, but you do not grow on accident. It takes intentionality and effort, right? Any meaningful life-giving growth doesn't happen on accident. The only growth that happens on accident is the growth that's measured when you step on the scale, right? That's on accident. But every other growth in your life has got to be intentional on purpose. You don't grow on accident, but you also don't grow alone. And everybody gets this. Athletes have coaches, Students have tutors. People in the professional business world have consultants. And many people have mentors and people who speak into their lives. Why? Because we don't grow alone. We connect for our growth. And in this passage, Paul consistently uses pronouns like we and us. And when you read the New Testament, it's always that sort of stuff. And even when you see the pronoun you in the New Testament, if you look into the Greek, it's not the singular form of you. It's the plural form of you. So in the South, it would be y'all. That's what Paul is saying, you all. Because the apostles and the leaders of the early church would have had no framework to understand Christians apart from community. They had no framework to talk about and understand isolated Christians. An isolated Christian is a dead Christian. That's how the early church would have viewed it. And this idea that we connect for growth. And in this passage, Paul brings us to the scriptures. And he quotes from Psalm 69. And he says that these things were written to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement so that we would wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So when we connect on Sunday mornings like this, and when we connect in other settings, whether it's studies and groups, we always connect around the scriptures. Listen, we're not gathering around opinion, fad, you know, what's new, what's current. We're gathering around God's word because it's God's word that grows us up. 
We can't grow apart from knowing his word. And here's three ways that God's word helps us grow according to what Paul wrote. The first thing is it teaches us how to live. How many of you realize there are times in your life where there's no manual for where you're going? There's nothing that you can read that says, it's not a choose your own adventure book that if you go to the wrong page and you don't like it, you just can flip back and start over. We need wisdom, and in a world where information is constantly at our fingertips, we still need God's wisdom, and his wisdom is found in his word. And if you don't get in community to process God's word, here's the danger. You're always going to filter what you read through your personal biases and preferences. And the word will not confront you because you'll read it in a way that protects you from being the person who needs to respond. While we were singing... Jeff, sitting here in the front row, felt like God shared, him, shared with him or reminded him of a verse in Hebrews chapter 12 where God says, I discipline those whom I love. And Jeff felt like the Spirit wanted to say to us this morning, and I said, this is going to fit my message, so let me do it, uh, that, that God wants us to know that one way we grow is by submitting to the teaching of God's word in a way that it re, at times rebukes us and reproofs us and corrects us and confronts us, and that's ultimately how we grow. We need each other for good biblical teaching. And let me add this. I think we need good biblical teaching in a local context. There's lots of good biblical teaching online, and I think you should listen to as much of it as you can. But I also think there's something very important about gathering with people who live in your community. Why? Because I think what happens in that moment is you get to hear, what is the Spirit saying for clay? for Liverpool, for Baldensville, for Syracuse. What is God saying right here and right now? And that's why it's so important that we gather regularly together in a local community and hear God's word. Another way in which we can help each other grow through God's word, we've been doing as a church. We've been reading version, 90 days through New Testament. We're almost done. I think we're going to wrap up this week, and then we'll start a new one. We'll announce it next Sunday. But what I love and what many of you have told me you love about Read Together is reading what God is saying to each other. You get so much out of reading, the, reading God's word, but then what did God say to this person today? And what, and what it does is it allows us to get a better, more thorough, deeper, more richer view of God's word because what God says to Pastor Jason through a specific passage or through one of you is maybe gonna be different than what God is saying to me that morning. And so when I read Jason's comment or when I read Connie's comment or when I read uh, Fuad's comment, what I see and what I get is more of God. And I can't get it on my own. And that's why we connect. So we connect to teach us how to live. Secondly, the scriptures point us to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Paul goes all the way back to Psalms to talk about Jesus? All of scripture has been given to us to reveal the person and work of Jesus. And so we gather together to point us to Jesus so that we can grow. And then lastly, the scriptures fill us with hope. There's a phrase in this passage that we read that we are waiting patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Some of you have been waiting a long time for some of God's promises to be fulfilled. And it's easy to lose hope. But when we gather together around God's words, we're reminded of the hope and the strength that we have in God. Why do we connect? So that we can grow. Secondly, we also connect for our good. You know, um, in the New Testament, there's a couple different metaphors that are used to describe the church. I I want to mention three of them quickly to you. Peter, the Apostle Peter in his letter... He calls the church, um, he refers to us as living stones uh, and who are being built into like a structure, right? 
And the thing with stones is that stones on their own are relatively useless, stones and bricks. But stones and bricks built together become very useful. A pile of bricks over here and a pile of bricks over there and one brick over there, what good is it? But when you start to, when you, get, when you let a, a master craftsman put his hands on these bricks and he begins to build, all of a sudden you have a structure that provides safety and security and strength. And this metaphor that, that Peter gives to us impresses me in this way. In order for you to be the living stone that God wants you to be, in order for you to, to, to be who God has created you to be, you can't just show up, you gotta be built in. And living stones are built in. And in order for you to be built in, if you can envision a wall of bricks next to me, in order for you to be built in, you're the brick. In order for you to be built in, what it means is you have to depend on other people and other people have to depend on you. And there's a proximity and there's a closeness and you can't just shake free and say, I don't want to be a part of this. Living stones built in together. And then Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, he uses a totally different metaphor. He talks about the body, that the church is a body and that there's no lesser parts. There may be parts that seem to be of less value, but they're all necessary. You may think your little toe has little value, but then when you stub it on your bed in the middle of the night, the rest of your body notices, <laughs> right? Everything comes to full alert because that's the way the body works is that we need each other. And Paul says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have need of you because you're not like me. And in every other corner of our society right now, our differences are driving us away from each other. But in the Christian community, which is a counter-cultural community, it's our differences that bring us together. It's me saying, I'm a hand and you're an eye, but that's okay because we're part of a body. And you don't want a body with 50 eyes. And you don't want a body with 100 feet. That's, that's a freak, right? You don't want that walking around. You need eyes and noses and ears and mouths and hands and feet. And the fact that we're different actually becomes a thing that brings us together. It's our differences that can unite us as opposed to pushes apart from each other. And that's what Paul's teaching us there, the body. The other thing I love about body ministry is we feel for each other, right? If you got a toothache, the rest of your body feels for it. I'm so thankful for that. Last week, we sent out communication to the church, and if you're not on our email list or if you're not connected with us on social media, please get connected. But we communicated that one of the pastors in our church, my mom, Pastor Unhee, was diagnosed about 10 days ago with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. She's been having symptoms related to speech and swallowing, and obviously she needs a lot of prayer, and we're thankful for your concern. But one of the things that we experienced is as soon as we announced it publicly, just the overwhelming response of the church family. We love you. We're praying for you. We're here for you. Anything you need. Listen, you don't get that alone. You got to connect. And when you're walking through the worst moments of your life, you don't want to be alone. You need people who will come alongside you. And those relationships are nurtured, uh, you know, not just in the valleys, but in every season of life. And so I give God thanks for that. And then Jesus uses a totally different metaphor in John. He talks about us being a, a vineyard a vine, a bunch of branches interconnected, giving life to one another. But whatever metaphor you prefer, it's clear that we have to be connected, living stones built together, a body of many parts, but all together and connected for the purpose of function, or for the purpose of functioning as God intended us to do. And then the vineyard, the, the life that flows through us, the life that flows through you feeds me, the life of Christ in you feeds the life of Christ in me, and we strengthen each other. And then in John 13, 35, Jesus says that the world, people who don't know Jesus, who don't know God, they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. So Jesus raises the stakes here. He says what's at stake in your unity and your love for one another is effective gospel witness 
in your community. If we don't love each other and prefer each other and care for one another, then the actual impact of the gospel is affected in our community. Now, I say all this, and I just want to take a breath and say, I know this is not easy. This is actually really hard. And that's why Paul said, this is something God has to do. <laughs> He's got to give you patience with each other. Listen, if you're a part of this church and someone hasn't bothered you, annoyed you, offended you yet, then you've probably either not been here long enough or you're not connecting well enough. <laughs> because we're all sinners learning. Right? In fact, my, my favorite definition of the church is by a guy named D.A. Carson who wrote a book called Love in Hard Places. And he says that the church, listen to this, the church is a band of natural enemies who love each other for Jesus' sake. A band of natural enemies, people who otherwise under any other circumstance would not really do life together. But we're a band of natural enemies who are learning to love each other for Jesus' sake. And part of loving one another is leaning into even conflict and tension and enduring through it. And that's why in verse 5, like I just mentioned, he says, May God who gives us patience and encourage. Paul recognizes this takes God's intervention. You can't do this on your own. This takes God. He will help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus so that we can join together with one voice, give praise and glory to God. And Paul expected us to struggle in community because we're not perfect and, and, and we have different opinions and different thoughts. But, you know, there's a phrase in the New Testament that's used a hundred times. It's the phrase one another. In the English, it's two words. In the Greek, it's one word. It's used a hundred times and 94 of the times that it's used, it's written to the church. One, love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Care for one another. Stir, one, stir up one another. 33% of the times that the word one another is used, it's speaking about unity. Another third of the time, it's speaking about love for one another, the believers. And then 15% of the time, it's speaking about humility, exercise towards each other. So let, I just did, uh, let me do the math for you. What it means is this, that about 80% of the time in the New Testament when Paul or Peter or John writes one another, 80% of the time it's about one of three things, unity, love, and humility. And I want you to think about those three words, unity, love, humility. Those are things that you really cannot learn about outside of community. Those are things that really cannot be developed if you're isolated. If you're going to grow in unity, you got to have people around you that are not uniform, but united, right? Uniformity and unity are two different things. We're not going for uniformity. We're not all going to look the same, think the same, be the same, but we can have unity, right? Unity, love, humility. Those are things you cannot learn, develop on your own. We need each other to learn those things. Earlier this week, I was doing bedtime prayers with my daughters, 12, 10, and 7. And my 10-year-old daughter, she likes to pray after I pray. And she began to pray for each of us by, by, by name. And what I re realized she was doing, she was praying that each of us would change in some way. <laughs> There's something she wanted us to change. And so she prayed for one of us that we would be more focused. For one of us that we would have more patience. I won't tell you which one that, was, that prayer was for. <laughs> one of us we would have more energy. And I realized, oh, she's, she's seeing things in us. And she's praying these things. And then she went to pray for herself. And she said, and I pray for myself that I will be the same as I always am. The only one that didn't need to change. 
And I realized that's why we need to connect, because we don't see ourselves properly. I can't see everything in me. You're going to see things in me that I won't see in myself. And I'm going to see things in you that you aren't going to see in yourself. And as we learn to share those things and speak the truth in love, we will grow together, connect and grow. Now, before I get to the last point and we close, at this point, you might be thinking, I, I agree with all of that and I want all of that, but do I actually have to go to a church service to get it? Because there's a whole movement in, in the Christian world of saying, I, I want the faith and I want Christ, but I don't want the building. I don't want to gather. I don't want to submit myself to that. Here's the thing. Um, imagine that you say to your family, love you guys, super honored to be in this family, but I don't really want to do anything with you. Like I, Thanksgiving, I'm going to do that on my own. Family reunion, nah, why, why do I got to go to family reunion? It doesn't change anything. I'm still in the family. Whether I go to my cousin's birthday party or not, technically, biologically, you can't kick me out of the family. I'm still family. Why do I have to go to family stuff? Eventually, you'd have a pretty crucial conversation with that family member, wouldn't you? And it would sound something like this. I think there's a deeper issue going on. I'm not sure you actually do feel as connected to us as you say you are, because if you really feel connected, there's an eagerness. There's an appetite to be with the people that God has connected you with. That's family. But I think it's similar with church. And when people say, why do I need to do this? I actually think it reveals a bigger issue in their heart. The other danger is, is that when, when you, because some people are forming their own community of believers and saying, this is the church, because there's two or three of us gathered, and technically this is the church. And, and I don't disagree with that. The church is God's people gathered together. It doesn't have to be in a building. I get that. However, if you are self-selecting your church, you don't have a church, you have a club. That's very different because the church is a band of natural enemies who wouldn't choose each other. But God has sovereignly brought them together and they're learning to do life together. And in the learning to do life together, they are growing. Okay, lastly, I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna sing and take communion. We connect for his glory. In Romans 15, 7, it said, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Three things quick as we close. How is God glorified? Number one, God is glorified when we gather, we bear his image. What does this mean? God is a triune God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit eternally existed in relationship with himself. So that means you and I who are created in the image of a triune God, we need relationship. And when we have meaningful, deep, life-giving relationships, we are bearing God's image well. In Genesis 2, it's, notice, it's notable that Adam was lonely before the fall. What does that mean? Loneliness is not the result of sin and brokenness. Loneliness is because we were created in the image of a God who is a relational God. So when we gather, we bear his image well. Secondly, when we gather, we become his people. This is the narrative of scripture. Not that God is saving individuals, but that God is forming a people. In fact, we read yesterday and read together in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that in heaven you're going to see people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation surrounding the throne of God and crying out and worshiping God together. Listen, if you don't like connecting with people who love Jesus, you're not gonna enjoy heaven. Because for, forever we will be connected in meaningful relationship with each other in heaven. So let's start now. And then lastly, we bless his world. Together we can do more than we can apart. That's how we can bless CareNet. That's how we can do things like uh, last fall, gathering shoes for people around the world who don't have shoes. Can you do things on your own? Yes, but we can do more together. You want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. 
And that's what God has called us to do. So how do we connect at Trinity? Three very practical things, and then we're gonna pray. Number one, you can connect simply by showing up, by showing up. I think the consistency of gathering, I know there's reasons you can't show up every week. I get it. Some of you work on the weekends. I understand summer, there's, I get that. But I'm saying when you can, show up. The consistency of showing up will create opportunities for meaningful connections that nothing else will. Number two, not just show up, but circle up. What does this mean? Don't just sit in Sunday morning rows, but find opportunities to sit in circles together. Have people over to your house for a meal. Join a study. There's, there's six studies going on right now, men's and women's studies. If, if you're interested in one, let us know. We'll get you connected to one. They're mostly happening through Zoom. But sit in circles. So show up, circle up, and then lastly, step up. What I mean by step up, there's a place here at Trinity for you to serve. We need every gift. If God sent you here, he sent you with a gift to bless the body. And when people say, I don't need this, and they don't need me, what they're saying is two things. Number one, you have no need of my gift. Number two, I have no need of your gift. And both are lies from the enemy. We need your gifts. And you need the gifts of people around you. And together, as we connect and become fully ourselves, We'll be, we'll be the people that God's called us to be. Let's pray.